Welcome to the Bardcast. It's Shakespeare, you dick. We are your hosts. I am Lisa Ann Goldsmith. And I am Owen Thompson. And today's subject is a continuation of our film Shakespeare, but this time we're going to dive deep into Macbeth. The Scottish play. Uh, for those, so those of you, many of you will know this, but for those of you who don't, there are people that are very superstitious about even saying the name of this play. I am one of them. I am not one of them. I, I, and general, the superstition is that you're not supposed to say the name of that play or quote from it inside of a theater. I, I tend to take it to extremes. I get skittish about quoting from it at all or saying the name of it at all. But for today, I'm going to get over that and actually bring myself to say Macbeth. Over and over again. Angels and ministers of grace defend us. That's a quote from Hamlet that takes the curse off. But you should stand up and turn around and spit, isn't it? Yeah, that that's too much for me. I know some people do like, I mean, for again, for those of you who don't know, there are elaborate ways of taking the curse off, including turning around and spitting. I just like to quote from Hamlet. So I've gotten that out of my system. And for now on, I will say Macbeth. I think it's all a bunch of crap, but whatevs. I've seen strange things happen. <laughs> Actually, when I was playing Lady Mac, the entire cast um, backstage one day, because a couple of us had gotten really sick, the entire cast backstage before a performance ate cloves of garlic. Uh-huh. And then nobody else got sick. Well, there you go. I, I want, The only time I was ever in a production of, of Macbeth was when I was in college and I played the doctor. And I warded off the, the the curse by writing lines of Hamlet on my on the doctor's notepad. And the one night I forgot to do that, I almost burned the theater down with the candle that was on the stage. See, I think you brought that on yourself because I've played Mac and Lady Mac and I've directed it and I've never had an issue with this and nothing has ever happened. Well, I'll just one more story. What when we were do when I was doing the Revengers tragedy years ago, an actor that we both know. Uh, Doc Watson, a brilliant, brilliant actor. Really uh, good made, friend of ours and he started, fantastic performer. Fantastic actor. Uh, he started quoting from that play while we were doing a fight call and we all, the rest of us were like, oh my God, Doc, stop doing that. And he made fun of us and he was like, Macbeth, Macbeth, Macbeth. And he turned around and he stuck a dagger halfway through his hand. I've seen sure strange Doc things happen. I'm not sure if Doc wants us to use that story in our podcast. <laughs> have to ask him first um okay so what i would like to do first is tell you all of the versions of macbeth that have been on film the very very first one was a silent version in 1908 then there was another silent version in 1916 and then apparently there was a version done uh at a school with charlton heston for $5,000, but it's not actually, you can't get it and you can't look at it. So I don't really consider it. Mm, and it was also only 73 minutes long. So right, in 1947. Yeah. But following that was the first really big production on film in 1948. Uh, Orson Welles directed and played Macbeth and Jeanette Nolan played Lady Macbeth. Mm -hmm. We'll talk uh, more about that later. Shot the very same year that Olivier shot his Hamlet, incidentally. The next one was a Hallmark Hall of Fame TV version with Maurice Evans as Macbeth and Judith Anderson as Lady Macbeth in 1954. There was another Hallmark, Hallmark Hall of Fame uh, remake in 1960 with Maurice Evans and Judith Anderson. 
Next one was 1961 Canadian TV with Sean Connery and Zoe Caldwell. That's been really hard to get, but I finally found a copy and ordered it yesterday. So we haven't seen it, but we'll talk about it in a future episode. Yeah, that's one I haven't seen for sure. And I haven't seen the Morris Evans one either. No. Uh, and that Sean Connery, Zoe Caldwell one was adapted and directed by Paul Amond. Next one was a play of the month, Macbeth in UK uh, in 1970. Then in 1971, there was a version in the UK and the United States by Roman Polanski with John Finch as Macbeth and Francesca Annis as Lady Macbeth. The next one is a TV production from the UK in 1979. It's a film of the Royal Shakespeare Company's production. Trevor Nunn directed it, and it stars Ian McKellen as Macbeth and Judi Dench as Lady Macbeth, who does one of the most frightening things I have ever seen in film, ever. We're going to talk about that because holy shit. Holy shit. Then there was a UK Macbeth in 1981, um, starring Piper Laurie as Lady Macbeth. Oh. Then there was a 1982 version in Hungary. There was a BBC television Shakespeare Macbeth in 1983, that starred Nicole Williamson as Macbeth and Jane LaPoterre as Lady Macbeth, directed by Jack Gold. And we're going to talk a lot about that one because yeah. I think we agree that that is our favorite when you really yeah. kind of... Oh, overall, that's our favorite yeah. with, with an asterisk. With an asterisk, agreed. Um, then there was uh, Shakespeare, the Animated Tales Macbeth version, which was Russia and the UK, uh, with Brian Cox as the voice of Macbeth and Zoe Wanamaker as the voice of Lady Macbeth. Hmm. That would be interesting to see. Can't get it. There's a UK Macbeth in 1997, uh, directed by Jeremy Freeston and Brian Blessed with Jason Connery as Macbeth and Helen Baxendale as Lady Macbeth. What was Brian Blessed's involvement with that one? Director. Oh, he directed it. Director, yeah. I wonder if he directed it like this. (laughs) Well, we'll, can't find it. So That's how he acts. Then there was a 1998 uh, UK TV version. Uh, Michael Bogdanov was the director. Uh, Sean Pertwee was Macbeth and Greta Saatchi was Lady oh. Macbeth. Yeah. There's a video version in the UK, 2001, a film of the Royal Shakespeare Companies. Anthony Shear was Macbeth and Harriet Walker was Lady Macbeth. I Lady have been Macbeth. trying to get my hands on that one. I know, me too, and I cannot find it. Gregory I, was, I watched that. I watched most of that one in a in a graduate class many years ago um but i've never been able to find the actual dvd what a bummer then there was an australian 2006 version it was a film set against the backdrop of a violent gang war uh directed by jeffrey wright then there was a tv uk version in 2010 on television adaptation of another royal shakespeare company production with Patrick Stewart as Macbeth and Kate Fleetwood as Lady Macbeth, which we will talk about as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Then there was a UK production in 2015. Justin Kersel directed Michael Fassbender as Macbeth and uh, Marion Cotillard as Lady Macbeth. We'll talk a lot about that one too. We definitely will talk about that one. And there's one that's coming. Yes, next year. Very, very fascinating. 2021, we're very excited by Joel Cohn. Uh, who did the adaptation he's directed of the Cone with, Brothers? That's right, of the Cone Brothers, with Denzel Washington as Macbeth and Frances McDormand as Lady Macbeth. Yeah, that that that's super interesting to me. Yeah, there was an unfinished version in the UK uh, 
they were filming from 56 to 59, but it never, it never was completed with Laurence Olivier as director and as Macbeth and Vivian Lee as Lady Macbeth. Yeah, that, that, that's a tragic, that's a tragedy in and of itself, actually, that missing, did they ever shoot any of it? Some of it, but. Yeah, I wonder if any of that footage exists. That was an RSC production from Stratford in the mid 50s. That was a legendary production. And many people felt it was the greatest performance of Olivier's career. And what happened was that prior to that uh, production of that would be movie, the movie of Richard III that he made was a critical success, but a giant box office bomb in America. So he was it was hard for him to bankroll that movie. And then uh, he had a, a friend named Alexander Korda, who was a Hungarian uh, British film producer. And he bankrolled a lot of Olivier's stuff, but sadly he died. So Olivier lost his backer and that movie never got made. And it's a real Oh my tragedy. God, what I would, I would love. Have you seen the pictures from that production? Yes. They're they so awesome. Stunning. They're awesome. I would love to see that movie. If, uh, obviously, <laughs> I can't because it doesn't exist. Right. And the two of them are just at their most beautiful. Yeah. Without question. Yeah. And also that was uh, right in the middle of when she was at her craziest. Yes. Yes. So it's kind of <laughs> so perfect. perfect. <laughs> um, Hello. And- that's what made her a great Blanche Dubois. It's true. Um, and then I just want to talk about there's some adaptations uh there's a there's a million adaptations yeah there are but these are like the ones that are most important i think uh there's a uk production called joe Macbeth in 1955 it's a retelling of the story as a gang war in chicago there's 1957's uh akira kurosawa's throne of blood which we will absolutely talk about that's the asterisk that we were talking about before brilliant yeah brilliant performance Beyond, beyond brilliant um, there's the first series of Blackadder with Rowan Atkinson. Uh, that's a parody of a lot of Shakespeare plays, but particularly Macbeth, Richard III, and Henry V. There's Men of Respect, uh, which is a U.S. 1991 retelling of Macbeth as a mafia power struggle in New York City with John Turturro as the Macbeth character. Mm-hmm. There's Scotland, PA, also U.S. in 2001 with Maura Tierney as Pat Macbeth and James LaGrosse as Joe Mac Macbeth. Christopher Walken's yeah, Christopher Walken is, the Mac- is a, like a detective slash Macduff, right? Yeah, Lieutenant Macduff. That's right. Uh, Kevin Corrigan is Banco, Banconi or Banquo. Uh, there's a 2004 Indian version called Macbool. Right. That's supposed to be quite, quite good. I know, and I can't get hold of it either. Yeah, I know. I've been trying to myself. And there's a UK television version, 2005, uh, Shakespeare Retold. It is a modern adaptation by Peter Moffat. James McAvoy is Joe Macbeth. No, oh, I'd also love to see that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Set in a Glasgow restaurant. So we're gonna we we will talk pro- uh, more about a lot of those in our episode about Shakespeare adaptations. Um, but the, but we're definitely we're going to have to talk about Throne of Blood today because even though Throne of Blood is an adaptation that has all, virtually no lines of dialogue from the Shakespeare play, it is just so amazingly good that it kind of transcends adaptation for me anyway. Absolutely. Um, and there's just one more. It's 1966 U.S. called Teenage Gang Debs. <laughs> it says <laughs> a teenage girl who joins a street gang. And you can't get hold of that one either. So, What are you going to do? Speaking of not being able to get hold of things, um, among the silent Shakespeare, of uh, silent Macbeths that were made, several are lost. 
including one made by D.W. Griffith. That's right. Uh, the, the director of Birth of a Nation and, and other, you know, one of the, I mean, he was a horrible racist, unfortunately, but he was also a brilliant filmmaker. And uh, it's, it's really unfortunate that that particular version is, is completely, that nothing remains of it. Uh, it's amazing. You know, I wonder if there, there's got to be somewhere where pieces of like the Olivier film are and, you know. Somebody, yeah, somebody's attic, maybe there are, you know, rushes or something, but it, it's a shame. I mean, the, not having the Olivier, not having the, the Griffith. I mean, the Griffith was made. The Griffith was actually shot. Yeah. The Olivier, the Olivier, if there's, if, you know, if there's anything that survives, I would want to see it, but it, they never made the entire film. Yeah, I totally agree. So where do you want to start, Owen? Which Well, let, I think it's about? best to go in alphabetical, uh, alphabetical, in, in chronological, <laughs> in chronological order. order. <laughs> you guys, um, we've been watching a lot of Macbeth. Oh my God. We, I mean, seriously, I think I watched more Macbeths even than I watched Hamlet's when we did Hamlet. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a, and plus we're reading it this weekend as well. That's guys. right. That's yeah, Lisa right. and I, for those that don't know, Lisa and I do a, a, a bi-weekly Shakespeare reading that we call Shakespeare Sunday. And it just so happens that this weekend we'll be reading this very play. So I'm in the middle of cutting it. And so it's just sort of like, it's a heaping helping of Scottish. I will um, say though, that having played Mac and, and Lady, Lady Mac, Mac and directed it twice, um, I'm so familiar with the text that I, I just want to preface before we start going into these versions. I'm so familiar with the text that when uh, adaptations or versions do things with the text that I find completely uncool, uh, we're going to have to talk about those. Yeah, well, I, I have, this is a play I have not directed, but uh, I agree 100%. And that's a good way to kick off because the the first movie that I want to I want us to dive deep a little bit on is uh, the Orson Welles version, which is the first surviving major motion picture and really, really the first major motion picture of this play. Mm -hmm. Shot in 1948 for Republic Studios on a minuscule budget. Uh, this the, he it was very difficult for Wells to get these movies made. Um, people didn't want to bankroll Shakespeare movies, so he had they in, the studio insisted that it not be longer than an hour and forty five minutes. It actually runs an hour and forty two minutes, and he also had to shoot it in a mere twenty one days. Yeah, so on paper mache sets on paper mache sets exactly because they had no money whatsoever. So when you take that into consideration and also the fact that nobody had ever made a, a, a major motion picture of this play before you got to give wells some slack and there are some very interesting things about this movie the way he you know he has a the way it's shot in almost an expressionistic way is really cool but the liberties that he takes with the script are just kind of annoying insane. as shit yeah frankly. and it makes it kind of makes a hash of the play uh, he turns things around. He invents characters. Do you have that prologue that he he wrote for? I do. For... Where is it? Let me find it. Yeah, because the studio cut even more than he than he had agreed to, and so he put a prologue when the uh, onto the beginning of the film when it was first released, so Got that it. people could kind of understand where the context of it. You have it. Go ahead and read it. I do. So, as originally released, it began with a spoken prologue describing the action, kind of as an. Uh, allegorized conflict and it was quote plotting against christian law and order are the agents of chaos 
priests of hell and magic, sorcerers and witches. Now, Wells wrote the lines in response to the studio's decision to cut two reels of the film. He said that people were getting a brisk version of the tragedy and he felt like uh, we had to set things up for them because he felt like it read like a trailer. However, when the film was restored to its full length and re-released in 1980, that prologue was cut. Right. But in, in order to, to heighten the allegory that he thought was at the heart of the play, he invented the character of the holy man. Holy father. Is what holy father, the holy father, uh, who essentially has most of Ross's lines from the play. But yeah, and it, Angus and the old man who talks to Ross, which is so weird because they're in the same scene. Right, right. And uh, just fun fact, that role was played by an actor named Alan Napier, who later played Alfred on Batman, the Batman TV series you may be familiar with. And he was was a friend of Owen's parents. He was a friend of my parents. He did a he did Under Milk Wood with them, the Dylan Thomas poem slash play in like 1959. I met him once. He was a very, very impressive dude. He was like six foot five. Wow. Yeah. Like Nicole Williamson, but we'll get there. We'll get to Nicole Williamson. Oh, will we ever? Um, but the the, well, the Wells movie is is a very important movie. But there's just for me, there's not a lot of chemistry between him and and what what is her name? Jeanette Nolan, right? Who plays yeah. Lady Macbeth? Yeah. Um, there's not there's there's very little sex in in this version. Well, well, here's the thing about it. Like, and and you and I discuss this, and I think this is important to talk about now. Owen and I believe that. Macbeth and Lady Macbeth have the greatest relationship in all of Shakespeare until it's not. Yeah, I mean- They love each other. They're they're attracted to each other, all of that kind of stuff. And Wells makes it very clear the first time you see Jeanette Nolan that there is no sexuality between the two of them. She's all tight and buttoned up. Well, not not only that, but like the relationship, I mean, it's not just sex. It's like a real marriage. Like he can't, like he sends her that letter telling her about the, the, the witches and their prophecy and all of that because he can't wait to let her know. He can't wait to tell, to share this with her right. till he gets home. He has to write it to her. And one of the things that Wells does that drives me crazy is he reads half of the letter as he's writing it. Which is so annoying. He's dictating. He's not. He's not even writing it. He's dictating. That's it. right. He's dictating it. But I mean. But the point is, you want to see her reading that letter because he's sharing it with her, and there's just no, there's no intimacy of any kind between uh, between the Wells Macbeth and the and the Nolan Lady Macbeth. And I think that denatures the play. I mean, he at the at the end of a very important scene, Lady Macbeth says to Macbeth, "Leave all the rest to me," and he turns it around and he says it to her. Which doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. Um, so despite despite the well, I mean the the movie the Wells movie has a very very important place in film history and certainly in Shakespeare film history. But honestly, I I, I don't think it's very successful. No, it's not. And the other weird thing is that. Um, you know, after he sort of distances Lady Mac, she's like always with Lady Macduff. What is that about? Yeah, what is that? I don't, I don't understand that at all. Uh, but there's that visually, it's interesting, but it's just not. It's not really the play. It's That's- not. But I do want to talk about. Um, he he tried to do a lot of stuff with sound for this particular version, and so he actually had the actors pre-record their lines in a Scottish dialect. So that it would slow down, you know, mm-hmm. rapid speech and approximate the sound of the Elizabethan actors at the Globe. 
during the actual shooting, they would lip sync to their own speeches that had been pre-recorded. However, after the initial release, the producers were so unhappy with it, particularly the Scottish brogue, that they asked for all of the dialogue to be re-recorded. <laughs> Which was the problem because they re-recorded the dialogue without the Scottish brogue. Yeah, so you get, so the, the and the end result is some of the actors are sort of speaking in a Scottish dialect and some aren't. It's it's, it's very right. uneven and and some and some of those brogues are no good. Um, it's well, it's, like like when he says he says that line, uh, "My soul is too much charge." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It just it. There's no reason to do it in a Scottish dialect. There's just no reason. Totally agree. I mean, if you're if the actors happen to be Scots and they have their own dialect, that's fine. But putting one on makes no sense to me, and it, it's it's another thing that makes this movie kind of a hot mess. I totally agree. Now, chronologically, the next the next motion picture uh, adaptation of of, the, of Macbeth would be Throne of Blood, because that was 1957. But we're going to save that one for the end. Agreed. Um, uh, that it's like I said that that's a that's a movie unto itself. Now, there's the there's the uh, Morris Evans one from the six the, from 1960 that was reshot a couple of times. I yeah. think. Um. I've never seen that one, but it has a really bad reputation. Morris Evans and, and Judith Anderson, who is very famous for, oh, she's, she's, people will know her from movies. She's Big Mama in Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. Yeah. Um, she's, uh, she's the evil stepmother in Cinderfella, the Jerry Lewis movie. Anyway. She's amazing. I mean, she's she is, and she, and she was a legendary stage actor, but apparently the two of them, they were all, they were in their 60s when they did that movie, which I think is too old for those characters. It does not have a good reputation. Yeah, um, I mean, the next one would be the Sean Connery, but we haven't seen it yet. Right, the next one would be the Sean Connery. We can't speak about that. But then we jump fast I fast do forward. love me some Zoe Caldwell, though, so I am super oh, excited. Love me it. some Sean Connery, speaking of- I know, of right? I wanted to be Zoe Caldwell when I grew up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sean Connery, I think Sean Connery and Nicole Williamson are the only two actual Scots to That's play- true to play Macbeth in major, in major versions. But we fast forward to 1971 Ugh. and the Roman Polanski um, movie of, uh, of Macbeth. Now, again, for those of you who don't know, obviously Roman Polanski is a very famous and, uh, and much acclaimed director, director of Rosemary's Baby, for instance, which he had directed before this. Um, I think he won an Oscar for directing The Pianist fair, fairly recently. And also, I mean, there, his, his personal life is somewhat germane to uh, talking about no this. No kidding. First of all, um, he was married to Sharon Tate, who, uh, for those who don't know, sadly was brutally murdered by the Manson family about two years before this movie was made when she was pregnant. It's a horrible, horrible story. Um, and so obviously that must have been much on his mind as he was making this movie about such, you know, murderous and brutal events. Also, uh, I feel a little bit about the Roman Polanski Macbeth like I do about the Mel Gibson Hamlet because Mel Gibson is, has revealed himself to be such a terrible person. Roman Polanski uh, is, still cannot come back to the United States because he basically raped a teenage girl. Yep. Um, statutorily, I suppose, but nonetheless, yeah. and he never has faced any kind of punishment for that, and he cannot oh, yeah. he cannot come back to the United States, or he would be hauled into jail. So you know, 
not not a stellar human being. So it makes me a little queasy to even admire any of his work. Uh, and this movie, I think I, I think I liked it a little better than you did. I think you did. I didn't love it, but um, it certainly, I mean, it's, it's beautifully directed. Um, it's filled with detail. It's beautifully shot. It really captures a, like a, a genuinely visceral medieval Scotland that I, I think was, was very effective. The problem for it me is, is... Look, I have to admit, it's beautiful, but he fucks with the text in a way that I just cannot get behind. Yeah, I mean, he 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 mostly he doesn't he doesn't change it as much as Wells does, but he rearranges scenes. Yeah, which makes me nuts. And that makes me nuts too. Um, and but worse than that for me is that the acting is, well, not incompetent; it's tepid. At the, best. Yeah, John Finch and Francesca Annis are Lord and Lady Macbeth, and they're both beautiful, but. Uh, and and I give Francesca Annis some props for doing the sleepwalking scene nude, um, which m- couldn't have been easy to do. But they're just not terribly compelling. And even though they're both quite beautiful, there's not a lot of chemistry between them. There's Again. not. There's not. And, you know, another scene that I have a lot of problem is when he goes back to the witches, who, by the way, look like peasants i mean they don't there's nothing scary about them at all i kind of like that though i kind of like that the witches were just peasant women i did i kind of like the one with the thing on her forehead but anyway you didn't like the old blind one yeah i guess but then they literally they take him like in the set that scene they take him by the sword and they lead him down into the earth underground like into hell right and then there are dozens of naked witches there yes which Okay, I just want to point out the fact that there are dozens of naked witches and that Lady Macbeth does a sleepwalking scene naked. So after what we told you about Roman Polanski, I'm just putting it out there. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's kind of gross. Although I will say the violence in that film is well done. It is incredibly violent. Yeah. Which is very interesting on the heels of Sharon Tate. Exactly. Well, I think it was on his mind. Also, there, there's one of the one of the best fight sequences in any of these movies is is towards the end of uh, of the Polanski, when the uh, the army is invading his castle, and there's there's a scene in which he fights basically five guys when he you know because he he can't be defeated by anyone not of woman born. Right. Which is so funny. and and he. It's almost like the end of Rogue One with Darth Vader. I mean, he kicks these people's ass in a very, very entertaining way. Unfortunately, when Finch has to actually act, it's much less compelling. Yeah, I mean, he's pretty to look at, but... Yeah, and so so is she. Well, and also, let's not forget, speaking of gross, do you know who produced this movie? Who? Hugh Hefner. Well, there you go. Yeah, it's a Playboy production. So, you know, it's uh, it, that it's, it's, uh, let's let's put it charitably. It's a movie very much of its time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think we've given it enough time. <laughs> I think you're right. It's not very good. Um, considerably better than that is the uh, the made for TV version of the RSC production in 1979 with Ian McKellen and Judy Dench. Directed by Trevor Nunn. Directed by Trevor Nunn. Uh, and featuring a lot of very interesting people. Roger Reese is Malcolm. Malcolm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, um, 
Ian McDiarmid, who many of you may know as Emperor Palpatine from the Star Wars movies. Yeah, so it's super fun to see is Ross talking to Palpatine. Yes, yes. So I, I'm like, oh, look, it's it. you see Ian McKellen and, and Ian McDiarmid on the screen. It's like, oh, look, Gandalf is talking to Emperor Palpatine. <laughs> <laughs> and for any of you who are big fans of, of the Lord of the Rings movies or uh, James Bond movies with Judi Dench's M., uh, and don't know them from earlier years. It's fascinating to go back and see them in 1979 when they were so young. Here's the thing about that production. I mean, they are both. Let, let us preface this by saying they are both brilliant actors. They are. I don't think either one of them is particularly well cast in these roles. I completely agree. Um, I, I thought I. I think that I, I think they're both quite good. Again, well, there's they're brilliant actors. I mean, right, you can't take that away from them. There's not a lot of chemistry between them for whatever reason. But McKell McKellen, this it took me a long time, and I've seen it before, but I watched it again just the other day. Um, and it took me about half of the half of the movie or production to to figure out what was bothering me about McKellen. And it's this: his Macbeth is too smart. Totally. Macbeth for me is not a very intelligent dude. No, because Macbeth is brawn, not brains. It's right. Lady Mac that's the brain. Well, and and emotional energy, and and he's got a lot on the ball, but it's not. He's not a thinker, right? Mm -hmm. And you can. And McKellen is such a smart actor, and he does all of these little sly tricks, looking at the camera and like doing little asides, and you can see the wheels turning in a way that to me is just not that guy but on the other hand there are some he does some brilliant things in that in that production he totally does but but there is nothing in that production that comes anywhere close to judy dench's sleepwalking scene there's there's nothing in any production i've ever seen that comes uh, of certainly of, of this play and and maybe of i mean almost anything i've ever seen yes now Having played Lady Mac, there is a line in the sleepwalking scene that says she has just smelled her hand and she said, here's the smell of the blood still. Ah, said, we, we should actually say just because there are people that won't necessarily know this play. So they've murdered, Lord and Lady Macbeth have done a lot of murdering. And so towards the end of the play, they're, they're, they're both gone off the edge. And in one scene, Lady Macbeth comes on stage sleepwalking and trying Basically to- Basically reliving. Reliving- the killings and she's trying to clean blood off of her hands in her dream which she cannot which she so cannot. She's, and you know I've, i think uh even people that don't know macbeth have heard about like washing the blood clean from your hands you know right out um, damn spot being the yeah exactly out damn spot but anyway so she says so she says all the perfumes of arabia will not sweeten this little hand and then there is supposed to be a scream or a sigh or something so this leaves yeah, because it open. It leaves the it open. Because the doctor says, right. after that line, the doctor says, the do there's a doctor observing her with, a, with her gentlewoman. And the doctor says, what a sigh is there. So she, right. so she makes some sound. Right. And it is, I mean, obviously it's, it's wonderful for an actress because it's left open to interpretation. For example, when I did it, I started laughing and I started laughing and getting crazier and crazier laughing that eventually went into a cry like mm -hmm. a sob but you but but you're right it's it's a beautiful moment for an actor because it's up to you right judy dench does this scream that starts in the center of her being and it is 
absolutely hair raising. It sounds like somebody is pulling her soul out of her body. It, it's it's really. I mean, we could talk. We could do a whole podcast about that screen. She's. It starts very quiet and it ends up being. I mean, it, it's. It, you have to see it. It it is Lisa Ann. I think you said yesterday when we were talking about it. It's like her soul is being ripped out of her body. Oh, and hold on. Okay, you guys. So I had to pause because as we were talking about this sound, and I don't know if you could hear it uh, right before, but as we were talking about the sound, like the her soul being pulled out of her, this pet fountain that I have in the room where I'm recording for my cats and my dog started making this awful, horrible sound. I just think- Yeah, it was, really was weird. super weird. It was like your house started screaming in sympathy. I know. But yeah, so anyway, we were talking about the sound. It does sound like something is pulling her soul out of her body. Well, and it's, I mean, it's just, it like what, it's her, it's not just the sound that she makes. It's her, it's her face. It's her whole body. I mean, you, I, 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 it, absolutely encourage anybody listening to this that has any interest in these films at all to get get your hands on you can actually rent it from amazon um very yeah, for easily like 3.99 for like 3.99 and i'm i'm not going to lie i the entire production is not my favorite but it's absolutely worth it for this one moment i mean it is she also does this thing in that scene which no other actress that i have seen in my opinion does and it's that She's sleepwalking, right? So mm -hmm. her eyes are open, but every every other actress, you can see them sort of like seeing stuff, right? But Judy Dench sees without looking. It's the freakiest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. Yeah. Well, I mean, most of these actresses are are trying to look as if they're sleepwalking and not seeing things. And there are actual lines in the text about how she's not, how her eyes are open, but their sense is shut. Um but, but nobody, nobody, but nobody, nobody does it as well as nobody does it as well as Dench. It's absolutely um, terrifying. It, it is terrifying, and I'm I'm telling you, I know we're talking about it a lot, so we'll we'll stop. But that scream will, I mean, it will fuck you up for life. That's all I can say. It's true. It's true. Um, but having having said that, we move on. Not long after that, actually, only four years after that. Um, the uh, the BBC and we've talked about that series a lot. The, the the BBC did all of the Shakespeare plays in the late seventies and early eighties, um, <clears throat> including that Derek Jacobi Hamlet that we both admired so much. So in nineteen eighty three, they did Macbeth, starring Nicole Williamson uh, as Macbeth and Jane Lapotere as uh, as Lady Macbeth. And I kind of think it's my favorite one. Yeah, I do too. But we have to back up for one second because I just have to let everybody know that when you rewatched The Dench, you texted me this, and I quote, <laughs> Holy St. Francis, St. Patrick, St. Barnabas, and little fake baby Jesus, that fucking, fucking, fucking scream. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that pretty much encapsulates how I felt about that. Um, but having said, you know, having said that, I think Lisa Ann, you, you, I agree with you that even though they're both brilliant actors, McKellen and Dench feel a little miscast overall in that production. That cannot be said for Nicole Williamson and Jane LaPotere, who are perfect. They are perfect. First of all, Nicole Will Williamson is huge. And, uh, and Jane LaPotere is teeny. Tiny. Yeah. And the, the size difference between them 
work so well. Absolutely. Um, but they're but just they, really well cast. Well, they also they also they're the on, they're the only Mac and Lady Mac that feel like a married couple to me. Yeah, totally. I mean, and they you really know that they've gone through some shit together. There's an there's an intimacy between them that it, that they don't they don't seem to have to work at. Um, you know, they just they seem like they've been married for a long time. There's a there's a sexual spark between them, but it's more than that. There's there's an intimacy and a and a real deep true love. Yes, and Williamson is such. I mean, he, you know, he has a reputation for being a little bonkers in real life, or he did when he was alive. Um, you know, he actually assaulted another actor on a stage on Broadway in the '90s in a play called "I Hate Hamlet." Yeah, famously, sure did. yeah, he did. Um, but that, I mean, who knows if like Vivian Lee being crazy that helped her Lady Macbeth, but his being a little crazy maybe helped his his Lord Mac because he's fucking terrifying he is terrifying and you can really see you can really see the moment when it flips over oh yeah well he i mean he lets you you know it's funny we were talking about he makes a brilliant choice in going into tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow famous famous speech that uh happens towards the end of the play right after he's informed that his wife is dead and famously Macbeth does not really, you know, his response to the death of his obviously beloved wife, he just, his line is, she should have died hereafter. Sort of like the Shakespeare equivalent of whatever. Yeah. And then he has this nihilistic speech about how life is meaningless, right? Um, Tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. But Williamson bridges that gap by saying, because the line goes, uh, she should have died hereafter. There would have been a time. And then he starts tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. So he makes the bridge. There would have been a time, time for tomorrow. There would, yeah. It's actually there would have been a time for time such for a such thing. A wor- yeah, such a word. Such a word. Yeah. There would have been time for such a word. And he bridges it to tomorrow. And then you see the light bulb go off in his eyes. And he continues, and tomorrow, and tomorrow. It's funny. Oh, I, I, I got chills just thinking about it. I was watching it just yesterday. McKellen makes the very same choice, but he doesn't execute it as well. Nope. Totally agree. Because his Mac is smarter. It yep. doesn't work as well. Nope. So it's hard. So the, the, the mental gymnastics that Nicole Williamson's Macbeth had, like it's harder for him to think. Right. The other thing about Nicole Williamson is that he was like a four pack a day smoker. So mm-hmm. he's got this gruffness to his voice, but he also does a thing with his breathing th- that is so raspy and yeah, terrifying. Wheezy. Yeah, in the, in, in the Banquo's ghost scene where he he sees Banquo's ghost that he's just had murdered, <laughs> he's re- it. it's it's really it's it's very effective. I mean, he's just he's he's mesmerizing, and he also he, it's like it's almost the schizophrenic performance. He has like a public voice and a private voice. Yeah, and it it works really well, and it actually it 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 does something that um you know because the the the, the one of the conundrums of performing Shakespeare are the soliloquies, right? They're internal monologues or they're, you know, they're a speech is not addressed to it like the public, not like when Richard III is talking directly to the audience. It's not breaking the fourth wall. It's internal. Right, so but in, as an actor, you have to figure out who you're talking to. Exactly. So in movies, a lot of the time, people will do it as voiceover, like it's in your head and you lose something that way to me you lose something so Williamson making that choice of having two separate voices the private and the and the public voice I thought that that kind of solved that problem 
Yeah, they do a uh, lot of that uh, voiceover thing in the Fassbender, which I just did. Oh God, we'll talk about that movie in a minute. Yeah. Uh, they, and they, but they do it. I mean, the the Polanski movie does it. I yeah, mean, I all the Hamlet movies do it. I mean, yeah, it's eh, annoying. But, yeah, I, 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 it doesn't work for me. Um, but the but Williamson, the I mean, I will say this about the the BBC production with Williamson and La Patera. Again, the production values are crap because they had no money although they did do this interesting thing they had basically a uh, a round psych mm -hmm. around the set so they could film pretty much in every direction which was kind of cool yeah but you know like the the trevor nunn one from 79 has almost no set none um but the costumes are the costumes are good and yeah. the, not and not even the costumes in the bbc one you like it's just shitty like crap i mean uh, it's, it's it's bad but that doesn't take away from the acting the acting is super, superb um and the more i think about it the more i think that that's my my favorite my favorite macbeth with an asterisk right um we'll, so, we'll get there we'll get there we, right we will the next one we need to talk about is the the patrick stewart and kate fleetwood right directed by rupert gould 2010 i believe right right now I love Patrick Stewart. Me too. Really do. He was too old to be playing Macbeth. Yeah, he was, was what, in his early 60s or so? And Kate Fleetwood is so much younger. Yeah. It's kind of, it just, it's kind of icky. And, and he's, I mean, he's in great shape. There's no doubt. And one um, of the, and by the way, having met him, one of the sexiest men I've ever met. And he, this is actually a fun little story. He, I met him uh, when he was doing... Uh, the ride down Mount Morgan on Broadway. The Arthur and, late Arthur Miller play, right? That's right. And he, when he met me, he took my hand in both of his hands and looked me from the crown of my head to my toes and then back up to my eyes. And by the time he was done, <laughs> I was a puddle on the floor. <laughs> and for those of you that know me, this doesn't happen very often. Yeah, but he just, it, it wasn't working as Macbeth. No, just, and the and the concept of the production, it's it's very like um, it's like Macbeth as Stalin. Yeah, it, it's very. I mean, it's prefaced with like a bunch of newsreel footage, and the the iconography of the is all very Soviet Union and all of this stuff. Very, uh, I I thought it I it did not work for me. The the witches are are nurses in a in a field hospital for yeah. the most part. And frankly, um, I thought that Kate Fleetwood was so so vicious and so evil that you lost I mean I didn't care when she went nuts well I I really liked her at the beginning I I thought that she did that first scene the letter the letter scene yeah as good or or better than almost anyone I've seen but then it it kind of goes downhill and that movie it gets old it gets old and they have and and as you say the disparity in their ages it just the relationship doesn't work. And uh, I don't know, I found, I've seen it a couple of times now and I find it just, especially it, it's weird. Cause it's such a, it's such a short play by Shakespeare yeah. standards. Yeah. But I, the, I just feel the length of that one. I'm like, I just wanted it to be over. Yeah. It's kind of boring and it's disappointing because it's a, again, it's a well shot production. Um, the, the production values are, are pretty good, but it's just dull. Yeah. The next one we have to talk about is the Fassbender with uh, Marion Cotillard as from just a few years ago. Yeah, 2015. Yeah, yeah. Maybe was it actually 
it wasn't made by Amazon, right? I don't no. think so. No, no. It was no, a major no. release, and now you can you can see it on Amazon Prime if 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 you're feeling masochistic. Yeah, I mean it's you know it's British French historical drama. I mean it premiered at the Cannes Film Festival. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Well, there's no play there. No. I mean, not it, this was less them rearranging stuff like Polanski or patchworking things like Wells or cutting things. I, it, it's, I mean, it is cutting things. There's like, you know, like the, the knocking scene, for instance, there's, hard, there's like three there's, lines of dialogue. Right. And he, you lose all of the comedy of that scene except for knock, knock, knock. Right. Well, I mean, and you, you, lose, you lose so much because the text is largely excised. Yes, and they and they do things like um, flip text as to when in the scene it's said. Doesn't work. Yeah. No, 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 no. Uh, and and uh, I, I, it's a shame because I feel like those like Fassbender and and Cotillard probably have those characters in them. Yeah, I agree. Um, and, not in this production, though. but not in this production because they're not allowed to. It's for me. It was sort of and there's a lot. There's a lot of there's a lot of sword fighting and there's a lot of landscape and to me i was like this director wants macbeth to be like game of thrones and it ain't and he does the same thing with the witches though the witches are kind of like you know peasanty yeah but i I liked it better because like that young one had that weird thing on her forehead oh yeah i guess but i don't know i was just i was i was really i had to i it took me like three sittings to watch that movie because I kept yeah. turning it off in boredom. Agreed. Yeah. So I guess that... Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> so I was going to say, so fuck it. Let's move on to the one which is both of our favorites, even though it's not actually a production of Macbeth, which is Kurosawa's Throne of Blood. Yeah. 1957 Japanese film by what can only be called master filmmaker Akira Kurosawa who had a long, long career, made many great motion pictures, but really none better than Throne of Blood. Does no. not, it does not have one line of dialogue from Shakespeare's play. In fact, it has not a whole lot of dialogue at all. At all, yeah. It's almost entirely visual. Toshira Mufune uh, plays um, the Macbeth figure. Uh, and Isuzu Yamada is uh-huh. the actress who plays uh, the equivalent of Lady Macbeth. And, and she is terrifying. I mean, and she hardly does anything. Her face looks like a kabuki mask. Um, she's made up that way. And she's very quiet. She walks in this incredibly subservient little pitter-patter. She never really looks at anybody. She never looks at anybody. She's when she speaks, which is not all that often, she speaks very quietly, but she is blood curdling. It, it, it's terrifying. And the, the movie is almost in time. I mean, it, he does everything with visuals. Um, and it's just, I mean, I, 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 I'm not even really sure what to say about it, except see it, see it, see it. Yeah. If you've never, if you've never watched a Kurosawa film, this is the one to start with. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I was certainly, I mean, that or Rashomon, but I mean, if you're, if you're talking about films of, of, of films based on this play, whether it's the play itself or an adaptation, there's, there's nothing like this one. It, it, it's really extraordinary. The, how about, how about the, how about their, the, the, the own, there's only one witch in right. this version, right? but that, that crazy ghostly 
like spinning wheel guy. Oh, I know. It's so terrifying. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's, it's also gorgeous. Like the film is gorgeous. Yeah. I mean, it's it's just it's it's shot and it's black and white. Yeah. And uh, actually, the castle exteriors were built and shot on Mount Fuji. Is that right? I yeah. didn't know that. Yeah. Spider's Web Castle, as it's called yeah. in that movie. Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, um, see it. Yeah. And then the one of the reasons that he built it on Mount Fuji is that it is really foggy and he wanted tons ah, of Ah, so that's where all that fog comes from. They didn't actually have to use fog machines. That's kind that's, of awesome. That's right. That's right. Yeah, it's super foggy. And and the uh, I won't I no spoilers, but the 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 sequence that finishes that film, the ending sequence is just harrowing and awesome. Yeah. Um and it got incredible reviews. I mean, uh, in 1961 the the time reviews said it was a visual descent into the hell of greed and superstition. Yeah, I think that sums it up. It Interestingly, Kurosawa was obsessed with that play. And when he started out, he actually wanted to make that movie in the late 40s. He wanted to make a movie of Macbeth in the late 40s. And the reason he didn't do it was because the Wells movie came out. That's right. He got, um, wind, he got wind that Orson Welles was making a movie of Macbeth and he, he stopped like his pre-production. Right. But and and actually, thank God, because maybe it wouldn't have been as good as what happened 10 years later. Yeah. In fact, Harold Bloom, who's an American literary critic who I mean, we've read so many things by him on Shakespeare, called it the most successful film version of Macbeth. Yeah, I have I have not seen all of them, although it kind of feels like I have at this point. Um, but I would, I certainly would say it's the, it's the best film version of Macbeth that I've ever seen. Yeah. And it holds a 95% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. It should be a hundred percent if you ask me, but I'll take 95. Yeah. That's pretty good. Yeah. Um, I think that's all we have to say. About I it. think that's all we have to say for, for now. For now. But I, listen, I want to see that Sean, Sean Connery. I do I too. I do too. I will have something to say about it because I love, again, I wanted to be Zoe Caldwell when I grew up. <laughs> yeah, I have to see it too. Yeah. So join us for our next episode 10, which will be political Shakespeare. Political Shakespeare. I think there's a, an election coming up. Is there not? Is there something? And wasn't there some kind of chat or argument? Yeah, it's like a, something it's got a, a D word. Dung heap? Yeah, actually it was. A, we're talking about the debate the, of the other night. It was a dung heap. Inside a trash fire. One of the most mortifying things I've ever seen in my entire life. Sorry if we have MAGA listeners. Yeah, but hey. Sorry, you know, not I'm sorry. Embarrassed to be an American. Yeah, it was bad. Um, but yes, we're going to be talking about politics and Shakespeare in our next episode. So be sure to listen in. And if you like what you're hearing, please leave us a five-star review. Um, and not just the five stars, but also write a review wherever you get your podcasts. Mm -hmm. Don't forget to visit our website at www.thebardcastudick.com where you will find links to our Patreon page. If you have some extra money you want to throw our way, please uh, become a patron of ours on patreon.com. You'll get extra special stuff too when you do that. That's exactly right. Also on our website, you will find a link to the Actors Fund, which is the charity that this podcast supports. So please visit them. And remember, it's Shakespeare, Shakespeare, you dick. Actually, that was pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.
preceding podcast was a production of Country Matters, LLC. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved.